I've got a broken plate, my foot's bleeding, what else can go wrong? Well, don't you start. Welcome to episode 7 of Humans Are Worse. I've spoke a lot about how Norman and Clarice are polar opposites, but the one thing that they do have in common is the fact that they just don't leave me alone. From the moment I wake up and get out of bed, I'm constantly trying not to trip over them as they curl themselves around my ankles. Norman decided that today he wanted to be carried around all day. Even when I've been trying to cook, trying to clean, I'm just constantly having this big old cat on my shoulder. I go into the kitchen, I have Norman on my shoulder, and then I have Clarice coming in the room starting meowing at me like she wants up as well. I can't even go to the toilet in peace because they just follow me in there. And yes, Norman still tries to get on my shoulder even then. It's not really a complaint because they're really cute and I love all of the cuddles, it's fine. But they only seem to do it when I've mustered up the motivation and the energy to actually get up and do something. And Clarice likes to act like she's misindependent, but as soon as I enter a different room, she's not far behind. Norman doesn't seem to mind when he's showing affection though. When I come home from work, he's running straight to the window by the front door and I can see him as soon as I come round the corner. Clarice pretends that she doesn't care. But as soon as I get in, I notice that she's hiding behind the front door. When I leave for work in the morning, I'm severely paranoid that the cats have somehow escaped when I haven't even opened the front door yet. So I have to first walk around the house and just take note of where the cats are. But both of the cats have now figured out that this is what I do and that I won't leave for work until I've found them both. And something tells me that my cats do not like me leaving for work because this is the only time that they decide they do not want to be right under my feet. It used to be that I'd open the front door and the clicking sound of the lock would notify Norman that I'm leaving and he would just run straight up to the door, but he doesn't even react to it anymore. I think he thinks that if I can't see him, then I just won't leave. But no, I will leave. I'll just leave later than I was intending to. Now, I don't think my work would take my cats were hiding from me as a good enough excuse for being late, which means that I have to get up earlier just to play this mad game of hide-and-seek with my cats. But let's get on to why humans are worse. So it's the 21st of April in 1934, and we're in Aberdeen, Scotland. Helen Priestley... An eight-year-old girl was asked by her mother to just pop to the shop and grab some bread. And even though Helen made it there, she didn't return. This was noticed almost immediately, and the police were notified. A huge search was underway, and police started questioning neighbours, friends. A nine-year-old friend of Helen said that he actually saw her being shoved into the back of a tram by a scruffy-looking middle-aged man in a long coat. This information then got out to the public and they formed almost a mob mentality. From there it was kind of obvious that the police needed to find the killer before the people did. The search was conducted all night, but to no avail. 
At 2am, her father was finally persuaded to go home and rest for the night, and a neighbour said that at 5am the next day, they would come and wake him up so that they could continue the search. Well, when the neighbour arrived that morning, there was a blue sack in the stairwell of the building that wasn't there the night before. And of course, because they're searching everywhere for Helen, he decides to take a look. In it, he finds the body of Helen Priestley. She'd been strangled, and there were bruises to the lower half of her body which was consistent with a sexual assault. The police were then notified, but the first thing they realised was that, even though it had been raining the night before, the sack was completely dry, which meant that it had to have been stored somewhere close by and was obviously left in a hurry somewhere between 2am and 5am. The police then spoke to Helen's friend again, trying to figure out if this man that they saw was local. Turns out this friend had actually been lying to the police and hadn't seen anything at all. Although, I'm not sure why they lied in the first place. The police had wasted hours looking for this middle-aged man while the murderer was just out there getting away with it and possibly getting further away. With no leads, the police decided to just conduct door-to-door interviews and a number of people said that they heard a scream around lunchtime coming from a building in which the Priestleys lived. Now it's important to note here that the Priestley that the Priestleys lived in a building which was made into eight two-bedroomed flats and they interviewed everyone in this building. But Norman, do you really need to do that now? But they interviewed everyone in the building and turns out the Priestleys were nice people and no one had any issues. You're really going to town right now. So no one had any problems, apart from the family that lived downstairs. These were known as the Donalds, and they had so many issues with Helen Priestley. For one, they felt like she was bullying their daughter. But some reports say that Helen would also shout abuse at Mrs Donald, calling her coconut. I mean... It's an imaginative insult, I guess. But the Priestleys had actually stopped talking to the Donalds after Mrs Donald had slapped Helen for being cheeky. Oh my god, the cat stinks. For those of you that are interested, it's actually very recent that smacking kids has become banned in Scotland. Just as it should be everywhere. Oh my god! Norman! gas mask. Once the police started to look into the the Donalds, they found that they were the only family in the building that weren't involved in the search for Helen. Oh, are you finished now? Don't look at me all innocent. But this wasn't really evidence, so the police decided to turn their attention to the blue sack in which Helen's body was found. Don't drink my cup of tea. Go away. Go on. You see, the sack actually had a faded Canadian export stamp on it, and they believed that it had been used to transport flour. Now, there weren't many bakers in the area, and there was actually one that got his flour transported from Canada. 
The police spoke to this baker and managed to get a vague description of a woman who bought the sack. But this wasn't a lot to go on, and the police at this point still believed that they were looking for a man in this sexually driven attack. The description given by the baker did kind of match Mrs Donald, so they decided to talk to her daughter. Now the reason I keep calling her Mrs Donald is because her name was Jeannie, and her daughter's name was also Jeannie, that's just going to get confusing. At one point, I'll probably start calling her Jeannie, but I'm sure you'll be able to figure out the difference between the two people here. So they speak to her daughter, and innocently, she says that she remembers the day that Helen went missing, simply because she was given different bread to eat that day. But this wasn't as innocent as it seemed. The police managed to speak to the local shopkeeper and found out that this was actually the same bread that Helen usually bought for her mother. And with that, Mr and Mrs Donald were arrested. Or Alexander and Jeannie Donald. Yeah, okay, that was the switcheroo that I mentioned earlier. Police searched their flat and found even more sacks that matched the, that matched the one that Helen's body was found in. And there was blood staining in the house that matched Helen's blood group. Because back in the old days, they obviously didn't have DNA profiling. So they would just assume that because the blood staining has the same blood group, it originated from that person. Not the most concrete of evidence. It's not really going to tell you whose blood it is, but I guess in this instance, it works okay. However, sometime later, Alexander Donald. Alexander Donald was actually released as it was proven that he was working at the time of Helen's disappearance. But 38-year-old Jeannie Donald went on trial in July of 1934. The thing I love about this is that back then there was no messing around. I mean, she went on trial just a few months after the murder. If that was nowadays, it would have been years later. During the trial, Jeannie pleaded not guilty. <laughs> pleaded. <laughs> Jeannie pled not guilty, but she had no alibi and no witnesses to testify to her whereabouts. But of course, the defence argued what everyone was thinking. This was a sexually driven attack, and it couldn't be undertaken by a woman. News flash, but women can commit sexual offences too. Now we're going to get a little bit technical and a little bit explicit here, so skip ahead if you don't want to hear it. Nowadays, rape is defined as penetration with a penis, meaning that someone who is biologically a female cannot commit rape. But that doesn't mean that they can't commit sexual assault. It just goes down as a different thing, but they can still get the same sentence. And it is not any less serious. That's not an opinion, that's fact. But of course, we're talking about the 1930s. And of course, women being sexual deviants was unheard of. So let's stick with that for a moment. Well, as it turns out, three independent pathologists concluded that Helen had actually been beaten with a blunt object, like the shaft of a hammer or a broom handle, in order to make it look like a sexual attack. She'd not actually been sexually assaulted. They argued 
that Jeannie had done this in order to take the suspicion away from herself. If you are doing anything that's going to make it look like a sexual attack, then it probably is a sexual attack. It doesn't have to have the meaning behind it. I'm passionate about a multitude of different things here. This is a very stressful episode. But remember, I said it was just a theory. So if this was true, why would Jeannie kill her in the first place? Well, there was a theory that Helen had been knocking on the Donald's door and running away. Like a knock and nash or whatever the cool kids call it these days. Jeannie decided to hide underneath the stairwell in order to jump out at Helen and teach her a lesson. But what Jeannie didn't know, and yes, we're still talking about Jeannie Senior here, was that Helen had an enlarged thymus gland, which made her prone to fainting. It was theorised that Helen fainted and Jeannie believed that she had killed her, so she began the work to make it look like a sexual assault. And during this, Helen had actually woken up and screamed and Jeannie had possibly accidentally strangled her while trying to get her to stay quiet. But we're talking about a lot of assumptions here, so let's get on to some cold hard facts. Well, this case was also one of the first in the world to rely on forensic evidence. In the sack which contained Helen's body, they also found one badly permed hair, which seemed to match that of Mrs Donald. I mean, Jeannie. Who even cares anymore? It's not like it matters. I mean, I don't think you're going to forget who I'm talking about. No, Clarice, I'm not talking about you. Go away. No, come back, I'm sorry. Wait, what even is that? What have you got? Of all the toys and you choose to play it with a bottle cap. Also, debris taken from the, Don- from the Donald family home also matched what was in the sack. Mrs Donald would wash and reuse their cinders to relight their fire in order to save money, but she'd store these cinders in similar sacks, something that no one else in the building did. Helen's condition also meant that she produced a rare bacterium which was found in her vomit, and this could be found on cleaning materials in the Donald's family home. So this produced another theory. Maybe Jeannie did try and scare Helen, Maybe Helen was so scared that she threw up and choked on her own vomit. Later, people also theorised that Jeannie did this to get back at Mrs Priestley, or even to pin the blame on her husband. Which didn't really make sense, because all of the neighbours said that she was a lovely family woman. But of course, she might have also committed murder, so they didn't know her that well. It only took the jury 18 minutes to come to their verdict. Jeannie Donald was found guilty and sentenced to death. This decision was later appealed, which they believed was hopeless and it was just done as a formality. But her sentence actually was changed to life in prison. She was a model prisoner and 10 years after the murder in 1944, she was granted compassionate leave in order to take care of her husband who became terminally ill. Like I said earlier, I can't really believe that she tried to pin a murder on her husband and then want to care for him while he was terminally ill. But whatever the case, when he passed away, she wasn't even told to return to prison. She just simply disappeared from the public eye. And yes, you heard me right. 
she was found guilty of killing eight-year-old Helen Priestley and she served 10 years in prison. She took on a new identity and died in 1976. The crime scene photos were actually released in 2018 and people have began to wonder how Jeannie could have moved the body from her flat to the stairwell without waking her husband and daughter. Maybe her husband had something to do with it too. I feel like I need my own version of the do 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 Maybe with cat meows. Right, if I get put in quarantine again, that is my quarantine project. Since Jeannie stayed silent about the case and never gave a reason as to why she would have committed the crime, I guess we'll never know. 85 years after Helen's death, her headstone had fallen into disrepair and was just lying on the ground. But in 19... Oh, <laughs> not... that's not how time works. In 2019, crime historian Bruce Colley spoke with bereavement services and got the headstone restored. I'd say my faith in humanity is restored as well, but I think we're way past that now. Well, my cats may hide from time to time, but at least they're not avoiding public scrutiny and jail time. Guess that's another reason why humans are worse. Want to prove me wrong? Let me know what type of crimes your furry fiend is committed by sending an email to humansareworse at gmail.com. You can also send in your crime fiction stories and ideas for me to fact check on the show. Or follow us on Instagram at humansareworsepodcast. And don't forget to leave a review.